Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. We're so glad you joined us here for the conversation as we go verse by verse through the book of Jeremiah. Our series, The Hard Truth, is looking at this Old Testament prophet's messages of sorrow, judgment, and hope. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Hey, friends, welcome back. Appreciate you joining us for today's episode of Everyday Truth as we dive back into Jeremiah chapter number 30. God is so good to us, and we see a wonderful example of God's goodness in Jeremiah 30. If we did to God, if rather, if God did to us what we do to God, there would be no human race. I mean, honestly, the, the mercy and, and long-suffering of our Lord is just amazing. And even in those negative situations that we complained about that hurt so much, we still see God's mercy and goodness because he allows that pain and brings about those negative consequences for the purpose of our formation, for the purpose of our restoration and our transformation. Think about the promise to the New Testament believer that God is conforming us into the image of his dear son. And he uses all of life's events, not just his word, but the people and the situations and the circumstances that unfold in our life. He's working them all together for good to make us more like his son, Jesus, whom we will ultimately be just like, according to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. So God isn't finished with us yet. The process sometimes is painful, but God is good in all of it. Look at verse number 15 of our text, where God asks rhetorically in verse 15, why criest thou for thine affliction? God says to his people, why are you crying for the consequences of your sin? You shouldn't be crying and lamenting for this. This is what you had coming. This is essentially what you asked for by rejecting my word over all these years. So why are you crying for thine affliction? Thy sorrow is incurable for the multitude of thine iniquity. Because thy sins were increased, I have done these things unto thee. How often in life do we cry over what happens to us because of our sin instead of lamenting the sin that caused it. That's an insincere repentance. It's an insincere heart that says, Lord, I'm crying because of the pain of my sin. I'm crying because of the result of my sin, but I'm not in the least bit sad or sorrowful or repentant for what caused these consequences in the first place. That, that's the gist of verse number 15. Therefore, all they that devour thee shall be devoured. God's made this promise already in this chapter to say, I know it seems, it seems very distasteful that I'm using wicked nations and some, some, some really um, uh, unlikely sources to punish you, like, like Babylon. I've, I've referred to this over and over again, but it's like Habakkuk just couldn't understand it. Lord, Babylon is so wicked. They're more wicked than we are. Why would you use them to punish us? And what God is saying is, 
I I allow some some pretty unlikely sources to be my tools in my hand. And while it might seem to Nebuchadnezzar that he's ruling the world, no, I'm really just ruling him. But please understand that I'm not blessing Babylon because they're my battering ram. No, they shall be devoured. Uh, I'm going to deal with everybody that lifts up his hand against my people. I'm just telling you that I'm in control of all of it. So verse number 16, therefore, all they that devour thee shall be devoured and all thine adversaries, every one of them. What a promise to God's people. All your adversaries, every single one of them, verse number 16, shall go into captivity. They that spoil thee, in other words, they've taken from you, as in the spoils of war. They that spoil thee shall be a spoil. They themselves are going to taste. It's the law of sowing and reaping. And all that prey upon thee will I give for a prey. Their day is coming. So in the now and now, in the moment, it's hard to see the Babylonians succeed. It's hard to see them breaking down the walls and taking the captives and winning with the sword and gloating over their victory. But God says, let me tell you the whole picture. And that's what gives us hope in the moment of our chastisement is that God shows us the whole picture. That's what ought to help you during time of suffering in your life, that God has a big picture. And that's often why the second coming of Christ is referred to so often in the New Testament. Why? Because the people of God, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 2 Timothy, the people of God were going through profound suffering. And therefore, the Apostle Paul would refer to, yes, but it's only for a season. It's our light affliction, which is but for a moment. And yes, there's a time of of suffering, but the time of rejoicing And the day of peace will come and be permanent. So God shows us the future so that we can have confidence in our present. Verse number 17, for I will restore health unto thee. Remember, don't pray now for for healing because judgment's coming. But God says, ultimately, ultimately, I'm caring. I'm going to preserve and care for my children. I will restore health unto thee. I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord, because they called thee an outcast. The nations of the world, they looked at Israel as weak. We can scatter Israel. We can enslave Israel. We can obliterate Israel. Uh, They call you an outcast, but, uh, and here's what they say, this is Zion, whom no man seeketh after. Oh, that's what Israel is. That's Zion. Nobody would ever want, nobody would ever brag about them. Nobody would ever want their help. That's what the naysayers will say. But God says, no, no, no. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to deal with them. Verse number 18, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring again the captivity of Jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwelling places. And the city shall be builded, that's Jerusalem, shall be builded upon her own heap. Now, Jerusalem will be built upon the very rubble of the Babylonian invasion. And that happened. The temple was rebuilt and and restored in a wonderful way. And it's going to happen again. A third temple will be built. God's promise is true. 
and the palace shall remain after the manner thereof. God said those days are coming. They came. We saw it in history in 536 BC and then ultimately 516 and the rebuilding of the Ezra temple. We saw it in the first century as Herod refurbished the temple and the temple mount was made. We saw again a step back as the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, but in the future we'll see a rebuilt temple. God's word is always true. Verse number 19, and out of them shall proceed thanksgiving and the voice of them that make merry, and I will multiply them. They shall not be few. I will also glorify them. They shall not be small. God's going to regather his people. He's going to multiply his people. He's going to strengthen his people. Their children also should be as aforetime. Their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all that oppress them. God says, uh, continues to say, restoration, healing, regathering, blessing, growth, all of that is coming to God's people. We, if you pay attention to, to the news, we are seeing it. We are seeing many of the many of these promises fulfilled right in front of our eyes. Verse number 21, and their nobles, I love this verse, and their nobles shall be of themselves. In other words, their leadership is going to arise from themselves. It won't take leaders from other countries. God's not going to have to import leaders to rule their nation in some provincial way, some colonial way. No, nobles shall arise from among themselves. And watch this. And their governor, the ultimate ruler, shall proceed from the midst of them. And I will cause him to draw near. And he shall approach unto me. For who is this? Rhetorical question. That engaged his heart to approach unto me, saith the Lord. These are words that would refer to a priest. You know, who has the audacity? Who has the right to approach unto me? A human being doesn't. A human priest doesn't. So who would engage his heart to approach unto the very person of God in the temple? Well, the governor who arises from the midst of them, that's a reference to Jesus, the Messiah the only one that has the right to approach the throne of God on our behalf. And the approach that we have to God today is not in our own name. It's not by our own status. It's not because of our own goodness. We approach the throne of God because of Jesus, because he is the mediator, because he is this governor, because he had the heart and the will and the status by which to approach God. And in Jesus' name, we can come to that throne of mercy and that throne of grace. And in Jesus' name, we have access to God uh, via the, uh, the, the throne of God and access in prayer. This is a reference to the mediatorship and the ultimate rule of Jesus. What a great verse is verse number 21. Verse number 22, real quickly. And ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. See, the the ultimate promise that God makes to his people that are even now rejecting him, lamenting his chastisement, looking over the wall at the Babylonian invasion that they're not going to be able to stave off. These are dark days, calamitous days for Israel. And yet 
Jeremiah writes down this prophecy. And God says, but better days are coming, I promise. And bad days are today, but I'm not going to allow there to be a full end. And I will take care of the Babylons and the Greece and the Persias and the Romes of this world. And I've got a plan for you. And out of the midst of you, one of you, one of you, a, a, a Jewish man will arise as your leader who will approach me uh, in a way that no one else can, that will medi- be mediate between you and me, uh, the governor, the, the, the son of David, Jesus himself. And because of his mediatorship, you will be my people and I will be your God. What's the wonderful blessing of Christ? It's a restored relationship with God. That, that's, it's that reconciliation. It's the atonement, being at one again, and Jesus doing for us what the first Adam could never do, and that he failed uh, in our stead. Look at verse number 23. Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goeth forth with fury, a continuing whirlwind. It shall fall with pain upon the head of the wicked. Now, God's going to care for all the enemies of Israel. The fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until he have done it and until he have performed the intents of his heart. Don't you love that? Several times in this passage, God refers to his heart, to the heart of the governor, to the heart of Jesus. And the heart of God is the restoration of his people, the jealousy and protection of his people. I have performed the intents of my heart in the latter days, ye shall consider it. You're not going to understand this now. You're not going to see this now, but there's coming a day when you're going to see the fruition of my promises. You're going to see the quality and the revelation of my heart. In the latter days, you're going to see it. Now, even today, Israel doesn't see it, but one day she will see it and she'll see the Son of God, Messiah, They'll see the nail piercings in his hand and in his side. They'll realize we missed him. They'll realize, wow, God had mercy on us. In the latter days, they'll consider it and they'll truly see the sacrificial, unfailing, unconditional, agape love of God for them and that same love that he has for you. Wow, what what an exciting end to... A a passage that talks about judgment, but ultimately talks about God's fulfillment of his promises for the people whom he loves so dearly. That's it. Chapter number 30. We'll jump into chapter 31 next episode. We're making some progress. Hope you'll stay with us. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.